The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. attention this morning to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4 verses 4 through 9. Uh, I'll be talking about gospel-centered worry. Uh, your bulletin will say how to wipe out worry. It's the same thing. We printed these a couple weeks ago and things change. So we'll be finishing up Philippians. Can you believe that? Philippians is done next week. Uh, where has that time gone? It has gone very quickly and I hope you're excited for that as we end out this time. And a lot of you, the worry thing, a lot of you were worried about me today. I had a pink shirt on. You said, Let me just tell you that uh, it's salmon, first off, and uh, only manly men wear pink, right? Or salmon, right? And the, the second thing you need to know is that this means I'm getting to the end of my uh, cycle of laundry that goes to the cleaners because I'm at pink. So if you see me in pink, you know it's time to go to the laundry. So just, just as an aside, don't be worried about me. Pray for me, and God will take care of it. Amen? Amen. Well, here's something you might need to be worried about. This made the rounds on social media this last week, but uh, it's a thing called giant hogweed. Uh, many of you may have seen this this last week, and you know, nature never runs out of ways to, to get us to be on our edge. Uh, we have poison ivy, mosquitoes, spiders, sunburn, but it turns out there's a giant plant making the rounds in the Midwest called giant hogweed. Anyone see this this past week? Some of you all did. Um, and it's, it's really a nasty thing. And what it is, it's found growing on the side of the road. And it looks very pretty. It looks very, very pretty. But it can actually cause blindness if it gets into your eyes. Or it can cause you to have boils and all, all this bad, bad stuff. And uh, the main point of it is, is that people are now worried that a lot of people used to go around chopping off things on the side of the road. I don't know if you've done that before. Uh, but don't chop this down. Uh, a lady in Missouri said this. She said, I saw some weeds on the side of the road where I worked, so I stopped and pulled six of them on the ground. And within 24 hours, I developed blisters, boils, and my eyes hurt really, really bad. So don't do that. Uh, don't try and, and get this plant. It's a very big plant. It stands about six feet tall. It's called giant hogweed. It's just another thing to throw on your list for this week of things not to worry about, right? There you go. But you know, in this why Jesus told us another nature example, Jesus said in Matthew 6, very familiar passage, he said in Matthew six twenty six, he said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are, or than they? Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it very simply. He said, pray and let God worry. You know, those who pray the least are probably most prone to worry the most. Would you agree with that? When we are worrying, we are saying, I know God, how my life should go, and God, you're not just getting it right. I, I know I'm in control of this ship. And, and another person said, worrying is not believing God will get it right, and bitterness is believing God got it wrong. Hmm. Kevin DeYoung, a famous pastor, said it this way. He said, when we worry, we show that the world, our confession of Christ, is only on our lips. Some of us worry so much, we might as well be called Christian atheists. Wow. That's worse than giant hogweed, I'll tell you that much. But, you know, it may, brings up some questions for us. How, in light of what God has done for us in the gospel, do we worry less as a church? There's a lot of things we should be worried about as a church. We need to reach this community. The, the culture's changing. How, in your life, are you to take steps to worry less, to praise more, to be joyous more? And if you're a Christian, how can you overcome your worry? Well, 
I think it starts with this statement. I think this is a good place to start. If you don't believe that God is absolutely sovereign, meaning he's absolutely in control over everyone and everything, then believe me, you have every reason to worry about tomorrow, the day after, and so on and so forth. You know, I found as I've counseled over the years as a pastor that under every question, every worry, there's this one thing that people ask. Is God's grace true? Can I trust it? Is his grace of forgiveness true? Can I go with it? You see, worry comes from listening to yourself instead of doing the opposite. And what Paul will show us today is that we are to preach and teach the gospel to ourselves. You say, Darren, I've already done that. Yes, but are you doing it daily to remind yourself of why not to worry? Because God has finished it all in Christ. Many of you may say, Darren, I'm worried about this church. You know, things are changing. This is happening. We're we're not doing what this church is. Why haven't you done this, Pastor? Can I tell you this? Our goal here at Tower View, just to remind you, is the depth of ministry, of studying, and living out what God is all about, and leaving the results to God. Faithfulness is success. Let me give you quick. How can you stop worrying? Look to Jesus. Better yet, look at Jesus. He sees. He knows. He cares. He's a sympathetic high priest, Hebrews tells us, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. What an amazing God we serve. Paul's going to give us four reasons, though, four specific reasons, and I want you to look at these with me. Uh, we'll start with the exercise, the praise of God this morning. He'll say that in verse 4. He'll talk about expressing your prayers to God as a way to combat worry. He'll talk about enjoying the peace of God. If you've ever known the peace of God, you know that's a blessing. It, it, it transcends all understanding. And finally, we're going to esteem the principles of God. And as we land this plane of Philippians, this is where Paul's headed. Last week, we talked about gospel-centered citizenship, about living out the holiness now that God requires of you later for preparation for heaven. And Paul has encouraged the believers through this whole letter to walk in the gospel, pray the gospel, make sure the gospel is everything. That's that key word. What's our sermon title all the time? Two words, congregation. It's gospel-centered. Yeah, some of you get, you've heard that so much. You say, well, Darren, where are we going? Paul gives us four things here. He wants to remind you that Christ is Lord. If you will look through as we read this chapter, you're going to see the the name God or Lord used about five to seven times in five verses. Your worry starts when you lay it at the feet of who God is and what he's done for you in the gospel. But before we get to all that at the end, we have to, to land here. And Paul will give us these four marks of living the Christian life to live worry free. And it all starts with believing. Do you believe that Christ is really in control or is he not? That's where we're headed this morning. If you'll stand with me, if you're able, in honor of God's word, and we will read five verses this morning. Uh, I have switched translations for this week. I think it's a better read through the Greek. I'll be reading out the English Standard Version, and I'll start in verse 4 and go through verse 9 as we have the second to last of Philippians. Paul says this very familiar passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone or to all men. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God or unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, or it's Adelphoi, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise or praiseworthy, Think about these things. What have you learned and received? What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's go before the Lord in prayer as we start out this morning. Father, there are many things in this world to be worried about. There, we worry about our kids, Lord. We worry about 
uh, the schools, we worry about our families. And, and Father, we worry about plants that we may come in contact with that have things that don't make us sit well in our body. But Lord, help us this morning to remember that you are in control, that you are over everyone and everything, and out of that flows our trust of you. Father, as we study, be glorified. Thank you that the Philippians, as they were going through this great persecution they were under, that Paul said rejoice, that he told them that there's a peace, and he told them that there is a God who sits on the throne. And Father, we know that's you and only you. Give us wisdom this morning. Open up hearts. Draw unbelievers to yourself, Lord. We pray all this for your glory and for your name. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. Thank you. Paul starts out very, very clearly here. We'll start with verse 4. Paul gives the exercise of the praise of God. Very familiar passage. Many of you have sung the old song, Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Easy way to remember scripture, put it to song. And Paul gives us three things here. He starts with a command. He says it twice. He says to rejoice. Paul says rejoice. And Paul issues this command to, to the church at Philippi. Remember, this is a letter being read in front of all the church as a whole. And by extension, it applies to us because all the Bible does. In the Greek, it's, it's, a, it's an imperative, it's a command. It literally could be read, be continually rejoicing. No matter what circumstances, be continually rejoicing. And this isn't just unique to Paul here in the scriptures. This is throughout all scripture. Psalm 29, uh, the world praises God, ascribe to God the praise due his name. There are numerous places in scripture where we are called to praise God. It's not just a suggestion, it's a command of God. Spurgeon said it this way, the great Baptist preacher, he said, do you not think that this repetition by Paul was intended to impress upon you the importance of the duty? He says, again, I say rejoice. Some of you will go and say, I do not think it matters much whether I'm happy or not. I shall get to heaven, however gloomy I may be, if I'm really sincere. And he goes on, but he says, no, Paul says, that kind of talk will not do. I can't have you speak like that. Come, I must have you rejoice. I do really conceive it to be the Christian's burden duty. And so again, I say with Paul, again, I say rejoice. You know, the reason, the, the way you can rejoice as a Christian is this way. And the first faith lesson application is this. The more you rejoice in your own forgiveness in the gospel, the quicker you will be to forgive others in the gospel. John, thank you last night for teaching us at the men's dinner about forgiveness. Friends, the joy that you have is not derived by anything else except knowing how much you have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. Joy is an affection that is produced in the soul when one finds delight or pleasure or satisfaction in something and responds to it. And how gracious of God that he gave us the greatest reason to rejoice. It's not because the Royals have won two in a row. It's not because the Chiefs have a season coming up. And that is a rejoical. Friends, it's because God gave us Christ. That is why he says, command, brothers, rejoice. That is the command. Colossians 3, 2, you know, you say, I have trouble forgiving. It says, forgive. The Lord forgave you, so you also should forgive others. Is a loose translation. So Paul says, look, you need, here's the command. Then he says, how often are you to do this? He, there's a constancy here. He says, do it always. Constancy, he says, always. He says, rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, the command here is literally, be continually rejoicing, always. What this teaches us is that true Christian joy is not dependent on your situation in life or your circumstances. Throw out the TV preachers that tell you you have to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous to be joyful. Oh, contrary, my friend, not at all. If we are commended, commanded to rejoice always, no matter what you face in life, whatever your joy is found other than Christ will not be joy. It will just simply be fleeting happiness. 
You say, Darren, even in my sufferings, my trials, and my afflictions, yes, even in your sufferings, your trials, and your afflictions. Let's just do a quick survey of Scripture. Write these down if you want to. James 1, 2, we are to consider it pure joy when we encounter various trials. Romans 5, 3, we are to exult in our tribulations. 1 Peter 4, 13, to the degree we share in the sufferings of Christ, we are to keep on rejoicing. Wow. You know what this always says? I think it goes like this. You are to always out-rejoice your adversaries. Always out-rejoice your adversaries. Church, we are to always out-rejoice this culture because the culture is going to go like a world, the mamba at Worlds of Fun. It's all over the place. Fathers, mothers, you are to always out-rejoice other parents who say, man, my kids are terrible. You know what? Your pastor's kids are going to make mistakes, and you're going to say, wow, they're not as holy as they should be. That's right. But you know what? I rejoice that I have them and that they're going to grow into godly people. Amen? And that's the prayer. Friends, out-rejoice your adversaries. Do it always. I need to emphasize, though, that out-rejoicing does not mean we put a blind eye to the concerns of this world. We are called not only to rejoice with those who rejoice, but Romans 12 tells us that we're to weep with those who weep. There is a time and a place to mourn with those who mourn. Paul himself tells us in Philippians 3.18, you remember this from last week, he said, he said, I write to you with tears. And we talked about how he was tearful because people were leaving the faith. They weren't really in the faith. They had, it looked like it, but they weren't really Christians. But he says, rejoice always. So there's the command, there's the constancy, and finally, why do we rejoice always? Because it's in the Lord. That's the cause. It's in the Lord. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Friends, that is the only sure, reliable, unwavering change that we have, is to rejoice in the Lord. It's not circumstances. If you are to pursue your joy in circumstances, you will be disappointed because they will disappoint you. If your hope is a sports team, look, let's just, let's just be honest here. I'm a Royals fan. This could last another two or three years until Mr. Walton or, or whatever his name is, Mr. Glass, decides he doesn't want to pay the money for those guys. Then what happens? We go through another 20-year drought of 1985, and that's, just, that's the cycle of life. Don't trust in your circumstances. If you pursue your joy in other people, you will be disappointed. Because as much as we love our friends, our family, or even your pastor, our brothers and sisters, there will be a time that I or your people let you down. Is that not true? If you pursue joy and success and prominence and money, you will be disappointed because there's always someone else who's going to make more money than you, be more successful than you, and be more prominent than you are. But if you pursue joy in God himself, what he's done for us in Jesus Christ, you will never be disappointed. You will rejoice because he never leaves, he never changes, and he never wavers. Friends, and that's the last application point from verse 4. If the triune Lord, if the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is your joy, your joy will never dry up. Church, do not get joyous over numbers. Rejoice that we have people coming to our church, but never let the numbers be the joy that you have. Let it be changed lives in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thomas Manton, a Puritan, said, he said, whatever falls out or falls my way, God's all-sufficiency and heaven's happiness are everlasting grounds of my rejoicing. You know, I read about a, a young uh, preschooler. I love these stories. My mom's been a preschool teacher for years. I always get a lot of these fun stories. This is not one of hers, but it, it's very similar to ones I've heard before. A story about little Chandler who turned to his grandmother during a church service, and it's about a singing person. And uh, the lady was doing a church solo. And the solo uh, basically was so bad that Chandler whispered to his grandmother, she can't sing very well, can she, Grandma? And the grandma knew the woman's deep love for the Lord, and so she gently leaned over to Chandler and whispered and said, Chandler, she, whisper, she sings from her heart. That's what makes it so good. 
And a few days later, they were together in the car, and, and the grandma was singing with the radio, and Chandler listened for a while and said, Grandma, you sing from the heart, don't you? <laughs> it's absolutely right. Amy, if you want to throw that picture up here, and some of you feel like this, that the face you make when a bad singer hits a good turn is kind of like how you feel about this baby. But look, friends, our joy is not found in how smooth the song is or how great the sermon is or how wonderful the, the Sunday school lesson are. And we should pray for those things. We should do all things with excellence. But if you've lost your joy, let me just give you three quick application points. How do you reclaim that joy in Christ? You know, as simple as it sounds, you need to first, you need to be back in the scripture reading and prayer. God is supremely revealed in his word. And if you are not in his word daily, it's not rocket science. When you lose the, the time with the Lord in prayer and study of Scripture, you're going to lose your joy of, of everything and your focus. Don't allow familiarity to breed contempt, as the old saying goes. So start with the Scripture if you want to reclaim your joy and get out of worry. Second, pursue spiritual fellowship with other believers. This isn't rocket science. If you want to be joyful, stay around those Christians who no matter what life throws at them, they're focused on the cross. Yes, there will be times when they are grumpy and, and all those things, but their hope is focused on what God has done for them. That's why it's so important, and we preach a high view of membership here. Membership is not just walking down an aisle and signing a card. It's a commitment to the local church, Christ's bride. Because when life comes hard at you, you need those true Christians around you. Amen? So be scripture reading and prayer. Speak after fellowship. But finally, Fight for the path of obedience. You want joy in your life, you've got to learn to preach the gospel to yourself. When that temptation comes flying in your head, you need to say, look, Lord, this is, your joy is greater than the sin of what's going to happen. That fleeting thought of whatever it's going to go through, Lord, you are worth more of this. Help me to stay focused. So he says, look, joy is something that comes from the Lord. And joy will be misunderstood like that young child who thought the grandma wasn't joyful and was a bad singer. Her joy was the Lord. Friend, is your joy the Lord this morning? That's how you start with worry. You exercise the praise of God. Let's go to the second point, verses 5 and 6. Not only do you exercise the praise of God to fight off worry, but you also express your prayers to God. Express your prayers to God. First thing, the first way you do that is you recognize in verse 5, you recognize His presence, God's presence. Recognize His presence. Paul says in verse 5, he says, let everyone see, or let your reasonableness be known to everyone, or your gentleness. That word gentleness there, reasonableness, is, is quite a loaded word in the Greek. And the best translation, or the best way to really communicate it, is graciousness. It's the graciousness of humility. It's, it's a graciousness that when reject, rejected, stands back and says, look, I love you anyway, I forgive you. It's contentment. It's a calm assurance that comes across your life. What Paul is telling the Philippians is, look, Philippians, you're undergoing great persecution, but let your gentleness, your graciousness, your reasonableness be known to all men. Do you know sometimes you are called to give a verbal witness, to share the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Do you know sometimes in the hardest times of life, when everyone else is worrying, the greatest witness you can have is a calm assurance in Jesus. That's an old hymn. Many of you know that hymn. Friend, does your calm assurance of the Lord's presence inform how gentle you are in your family, at your work, with your kids or grandkids, or when you're contending for the faith. Why are you to be gentle? Why are you to do this, to express your prayers to God? He tells you why. It's the next part of the verse. He says, because the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Does Paul mean he's near in us by virtue of his spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit, or physically that he's returning? It's both. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, and praise God that Jesus is coming back someday. That is the greatest hope that we have. 
He's with us now, and he will be with us forevermore. So he says, rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. No matter what the government throws at you, stay strong in the fact that God's presence is with you wherever you go. No matter what, no matter what Donald Trump may say, or what these candidates may say on the news, they get you all across the board. I'm not being political. I'm just throwing. People throw out lots of phrases. Friends, your thing is not in this world. It is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see the difference? How do you do this? I think this phrase may help you. Remember, when you're saved from God's wrath, by God's grace, through God's Son, to God's presence, for God's glory, get that one down in the paper for you. You will remember this world is not your home. And friend, that someday Christ is returning and that is your greatest hope. It is not politics. Friends, we do not need politics to overtake this country. We need a spiritual revival that starts at the very center of who we are and what our church is about. We are saved from God's wrath by God's grace through God's Son to God's presence for His glory. That's where you start. That's where your gentleness starts because it all goes back to God. It all goes back to Him. What does this mean for you? It means the world's not your home. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Remember that Christ is our judge, is that someday He will set all things right. That doesn't mean we throw in the towel. We don't fight for things or pray for things. But remember that you yourself as a man or a woman, if you're a Christian, are under authority. The authority of God Himself. And that should be our focus as we go forward. Friends, and remember that vengeance is the Lord's. Vengeance is the Lord's. Remember that far from delighting in destruction of your friends and family that you say, man, I wish they would just get it. Have a godly compassion that's gentle that arises in your heart that has already begun to see that they are in need of Christ every day just as you are. That's where you start. He says, you want to get rid of worry, then remember to recognize God's presence. And second, and then we're going to spend a lot of, uh, few minutes on this one, very familiar verse. He says, render your petitions. Render your petitions. How many of y'all have this verse underlined in your Bible by chance? Anybody? Some hands go up. Some, how many of you have memorized this verse over the years uh, or know this verse very well? Very familiar verse. But Paul says, first off, you need to express your prayers to God, but he gives a prohibition. He says, don't be anxious for anything. It's a command. Let me be very clear. Paul's not saying, don't plan for the future. Paul's not saying, be careless. Paul's not saying throw caution to the wind. If that is the general spirit of worry, then that's not what Paul's talking about. A lot of people would say, sure, everything's okay now, but what if this happens? And that leads to this, and, and then I'll be in this condition, and we have no way to get out of it. Friends, that's not, that's not Christ-centered. That's of the world. Paul's saying that the kind of frenzied anxiety arising from your heart has no place in the heart of a Christian. You say, but Darren, how can Paul say that? I, I have not had a steady job for two years. The bills need to be paid. I have no idea where the money is going to come from. My children begin school this week, and I'm so preoccupied with their safety. And I don't want them to fall in the wrong crowd, so I badly want them to be saved. And my boss keeps throwing on deadline after deadline after deadline, and there's so much stress. And uh, there's really a difficult conversation I should have with someone, but I know that it's just going to cause me even more stress. And I have some tests coming up, and I'm not sure it might even be cancer. But in the face of all those very things, Paul says that our infinitely wise God has so superintended everything in this world. He's sovereign over everyone and everything. He says, be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Not one piece or a small piece, nothing. That's the prohibition. Be anxious for nothing. Then he gives the prescription. Look back at verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I think the reason we're tempted sometimes to be so worrisome is that we are anxious about things is because we believe that our needs will go unmet. 
You ever think about that? You worry because sometimes you think, and I think, that, well, if this doesn't happen, we don't get this, then God's not going to take care of me. As much as we try that not to think that way, we know deep in our hearts that that's where worry springs from. But Paul teaches us something here, church. He says the antidote for anxiety or worry comes from presenting our prayers and petitions before the sovereign God of the universe, who is in control of everything in our lives and who has promised that he will supply all our needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4.19. You can underline that for later. So what does this mean? I think the application point is this. Every moment given to communion and greater godliness and prayer and petition will reap untold benefits throughout the rest of the day. That's your next thing. Every moment given to communion, every moment given to greater godliness, and petition will reap untold benefits throughout the rest of the day. That's your next application point. Why? Because he says in everything, in everything, in everything, it is about God and his glory. You want to know the way to stave off worry? Have you spent time with God this morning? You know, many of you, uh, especially if you're married, uh, spouses, you get worried because you haven't talked to your, your husband or your wife about this, and you don't know what's going to happen, you know, and you have that conversation, and it all seems to go a little bit smoother, doesn't it? Because you know there's clear communication. How much more with God? He says in everything, in all circumstances. Then he gives you three words you may have in your Bible. He gives you prayer, supplication, and request. These are all, these are all normal words for prayer throughout Scripture. But the first two describe kind of different types of prayer. But the last word, uh, the last word there describes specific request, specific request. So he says, look, pray, do everything with supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. Paul's point here is this. The cure, the antidote for worry is that you take your prayers and you make specific requests before God in the context of your relationship with him. We ought not to pray in generalities before God to relieve our anxieties. Sometimes we have a tendency to be very vague in our prayers, and there's a place for that. We may say, Lord, we pray for James, and then we stop right there. Well, what are you praying for James? What are you asking God? Ask for something specific. The cure for worry is not a hurried, quick microwave request for a generic peace or calm. It is the quiet submission of an undivided heart that takes specific cares and turns them into specific prayers. Why does Paul say it that way? Because he says these are known to God. Friends, there is no one else in this world that can ever answer prayer but God. Sounds so simple, right? But how often do we live things and trust in things more than what God has said? We are at utter dependence on God for everything. You know, if you want, you want some fun with this, go and take a microscope or a, 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 what are, what are, what are, a magnifying glass. That's where I'm taking. Go look at the plants around your house and look at those little bugs that are carrying around. Who controls those? Who does? It's God. You know, we've been doing the, the bug camp and the, the children have been doing the bug camp. You uh, need to talk to Vicki if you haven't seen that. Friends, God is in control of a little bug. How much more will he take care of the specific things that you have? They're known to God. But he says, do it with thanksgiving. It says, do it with thanksgiving. People become worried and anxious and fearful because they do not trust in God's wisdom, power, or goodness. Christian, have you trusted through your daily time with God what he is doing in your life? Many of you are star watchers. I don't mean the physical stars, but your, your Hollywood star watchers. Entertainment Tonight and uh, Inside Edition are on your dial-up list every day. Many of you may remember this from last December, but Kate Hudson and Matthew Bellamy, I know who one of the two is. I'm not sure who Matthew Bellamy is. You can tell me afterwards. But they entered their three-year engagement. 
And, you know, Kate Hudson said something very profound for a superstar, perhaps. She said, relationships are the most challenging things you'll ever encounter in life. It's true. Would you agree with that? And you know, the very next day, they came out with a new app to help you with relationships. Some of you have smartphones. This was dubbed People Keeper. That's P-P-L-K-P-R, People Keeper. And the app gathers, it's like a watch, and it somehow is connected. It's not through wires, but somehow in your smartphone, if you keep it in your phone like this, it helps track your heart rate. And the point is, if I have an interaction with someone and my heart rate goes really through the roof and I get stressed and anxious and just I'm getting mad, that app tells me not to go talk to that person anymore. (laughs) And if you really are tech savvy, it texts and it tweets people to tell them not to talk to that person just like you're not supposed to talk about that person. Wow. (sighs) Does your heart beat a little bit faster When you're around certain people, it does. But friends, I pray you don't need an app to know that God is the greatest source of everything in your life. You don't need an app to tell you that your greatest peace, your greatest calm is found when God is close to you. Amen? The fuel for your anxiety is uncertainty. But friends, the root of unbelief is uncertainty. But faith knows the details, doesn't know the details of the future, but faith knows Christ. And all of God's plans are good and can be trusted. Christian, do you pray about your worries or do you just worry about your worries? As you talk to God, remind yourself what he's already done and cast your cares on him. You don't need an app to tell you that. You just need to trust the word of God. That's what he says. Let's move on. I told you we were going to spend a little bit more time on that point. Let's go on to a shorter point. Paul has told us, how do you fight worry? You exercise the praise of God, verse 4. Secondly, you express your prayers to God, verses 5 and 6. And here comes another E and another P. Enjoy the peace of God. That's the promise. Enjoy the peace of God. See, the real challenge of the Christian life is not to see if you can eliminate everything uncomfortable from your life. Isn't that a a goal of most people? The real issue of the Christian life is to see if you can trust your infinitely holy, sovereign, and powerful God in the midst of every situation and have his perfect peace. That's why Paul tells us here that there's three types of peace he gives us. First, there's a divine peace. There's a divine peace. Notice that he says in verse 7, he says, He's, he goes, and the peace of who? The peace of God. It's a divine peace. I think the, the, the takeaway of that is there's two main marks of a true Christian. The true main marks are an inner peace and an inner warfare. Inner peace and an inner warfare. This peace of God has its origination in the God of peace, which is what Paul ascribes to him in verse 9. But Paul knows that a Christian not only is going to have peace, but yes, he's also going to struggle with sin. He's going to fight for sin, fight against sin rather. But this peace that he's talking about characterizes God himself. This is the peace which God himself possesses. God himself has no anxiety and no worry. There's a belief out there called open theism, or maybe you have heard the word before. They believe that God does not know the future. They believe God wakes up one day and and just says, Oh oh my, Darren's preaching a sermon today. I wonder what I'm going to do. Or, oh my, you put the wrong pair of socks on. I had planned. That's the kind of God they believe in. People believe in this stuff. Friends, we do not believe in a God that vacillates like that. We believe in a God who is infinitely happy, infinitely joyful, and infinitely peaceful because the only peace that comes in this life is the divine peace, and the only truth that we have is a peace that God gives. Friends, it's an inward tranquility of the soul that's grounded in the presence and promises. And if you're a Christian, you will have inner peace as you struggle through this life, as you fight sin and temptation. I want you to know that's a good balance in your life if you're a Christian. 
He says, to enjoy the peace of God, it's divine. He also says, secondly, it's a supernatural peace. It's a supernatural peace. How do I get that? Look at verse 7 again. He says, it surpasses all understanding. This is a peace, if you are going to be worry-free, that transcends all intellectual power. It's a peace that when people look at you, they say, how did you get that? How did you do that? The world has no explanation for it. They just don't. If you're a blood-bought disciple of Jesus Christ, living in the same fallen world with the same problems everyone else has, friends, this is the way that you share the gospel. You let your reasonableness be known in verse 5, but you let your peace be known in verse 7. And in the midst of all the deadlines at work, the sick kids, the mounting bills, the limping economy, the geopolitical unrest, in the midst of all the storms of this life, here you are, calm, peaceful, and joyful because you have the gospel. You have Christ. And the world scratches its head and says, how in the world can you be so calm in everything you've got going on? I just don't understand. And Paul would look at you and say, what you're seeing is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Guarding my heart and mind in Christ, let me tell you more about it. That's a right segue right into the gospel. Friends, you know that supernatural peace. Some of you have experienced this before when you've lost a family member, been in the hospital, when you've seen things that are just so horrific that you know the only thing that can guard you is God himself. That's what Paul's talking about. So he says it's a divine peace, it's a supernatural peace, but look at the last part of the verse. He says, this will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a guarding peace. Friends, it's a guarding peace. The peace of God is not the absence of fear, it's the fact of his presence. I forgot to say that. But friends, this is a military term. It's a guarding. It's a military garrison. These people would be around the city. Their job, the Romans' job, was to guard the city at all costs. They were there to be a detachment of soldiers that no matter what happened, they were going to stand the ground. It was the Alamo of the Roman world, this word, guard. And what Paul says is that you want to see the peace of God? You want to see it? Then you need to know that it starts with him guarding your heart and your mind. That's where all anxiety starts. All sin starts. Go look, read James. Sin, God is not the author of sin. It starts when we have a desire in our heart that goes wayward and becomes sin. Friends, anxiety is the exact same way. It's when you think in your head, well, if I could just do this, or if I could just do that, then everything would be there. Would you pray this week, if you're a worrier, if you're prone to worry that God would guard your heart and mind? This is a promise of Scripture, friends. And Paul says, it's a spiritual problem. The cure for anxiety is not balanced brain chemistry. Not balanced brain chemistry. It's a garrison over our hearts and minds because anxiety is a spiritual problem. Whatever has your heart has you. Do you believe that? Whatever has your heart has you. And Paul says, this is where you start. Proverbs puts it this way. Whatever has your heart has you, Proverbs 4.23, for out of the overflow of the heart come the issues of life. Whatever has your heart has you, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Friends, Christianity is a thinking religion. We have to remember that. It starts with thinking about the right things, and we're getting into that in the next point. But is your thought life controlling how you have your spiritual life? Friend, pray that the words of God would saturate your soul every time that worry comes your way. So he says, he says, exercise the praise of God, express your prayers to God, enjoy the peace of God, and lastly, we'll end on this. He says, esteem the principles of God, verses 8 and 9. Esteem the principles of God. If you're an underliner, this is a great passage to underline. If, you're, if you have your Kindle and you can do those highlights, do your Kindle thing, but this is a great thing to underline. Look back at verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything praiseworthy or excellent, think about these things. That last phrase is the key here, folks, that think about these things. Your Bible may say dwell on these things. Everything flows out of that. It starts right here. Why would Paul pray that their peace would guard their heart and mind? Because he knows that's the source. This word calls for a reflection, for intentional consideration, for pondering, for taking into account, and letting one's mind dwell on something for every believer. Paul is calling for Christians to be attentive, reflective, and meditative thinkers. Please let me clear the air right here. I'm not talking about doing Zen Buddha or whatever it's called where you say, hmm, hmm. It's not what we're talking about. You're not supposed to think on those things. Friends, that is emptiness, and that is where Satan fills your mind. That is not what we're talking about. Developing a Christian mind and character requires a lifetime of discerning and disciplined thought. What do you mean? Darren, what do you mean? Start with the scripture. Roll it over in your mind. Just like we break down verses, break down verses as you read day by day. You may not understand them all, but pray, God, I see this in scripture. Help this to be reality in my life. I just want to go over briefly each of these little things. We won't spend too much time here, but Paul goes through several attributes. I wish we could spend a day going through each of these. He says, pray, think on things that are true. Friends, I hope you believe, and we affirm this till the cows come home, and I don't know when the cows come home. I just like the phrase. But one thing I know is this is true. This book is true, amen? This is your standard of truth. Think on these things. Think on true things that God has given you in his word. He says, think on things that are honorable or just or noble. Friends, we live in constant contact with God through his son. And there is to be gravity about us that lives in the presence of Christ. He says, be it honorable. Give an honorable life. Make sure your life is focused on Christ. In doing so, he says, you'll, you'll think on things that are right or just. These are things that are high, higher than the standards of our courts today. With respects to our courts, whatever conforms to God's character, think on those things. Then he says pure or blameless, and this is where preachers usually get in trouble with churches. Purity is very close to God's character. It is God's character. And if you deliberately put yourself in the way of books, magazines, TV shows, movies, websites, or anything that will expose your mind to sexual impurity, foul language that takes the Lord's name in vain, or sinful patterns, friends, we're in violation of that text. Did you ever think about that? Some of you pray, many people have come to me in my young life and said, Darren, what is God's will for my life? It's a great question. You want to know where you start with it? Whatever you're considering to do, run it through verse 8. Is what I'm about to do true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy? Start right there. Friends, we are to fix our eyes, our minds on what is pure. And I'm just going to be completely honest with you. This This should transform the what shows you watch on Netflix. This should transform what shows you allow your kids to see or, 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 or texts that you read. You say, Darren, it's just a book. Yes. Paul says, think on these things. What comes into your mind when you see something that thinks on these things? Please hear me clearly. You have liberty in Christ, but friends, you don't overtake that liberty to overstep the bounds to take you away from Christ. There's a fine line between both. He says, think on things that are pure and blameless. He also says, think on things that are lovely. Give pleasure to all and cause distaste to none. Is your life a fragrance of Christ that someone wants to come and smell again? Not like that hogweed. Don't go there. But is your life something that someone looks at and says, I want some of that because I see that they're close to Christ? And he says, finally, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever has good reputation and spoken well by God. Friends, you want to fight worry? Pray through these things in your life. Whatever decision you're making, start right here. 
You know, and you say, Darren, this is a great list, but couldn't anyone from any religion use this list? Yes, they could. Friends, yes, they could. The non-Christians of Paul's day and today would agree that these are good things. And this is how a good person should live. But we know, this is why we don't just cherry pick verses out of the Bible. We know in the context, this is referring to Christians thinking on God's word, thinking on who he is and what he has done in Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, let me just say this. You can meet all these requirements in your life. You can do all this list. You can live a life that puts some Christians' lives to shame, but that will never be enough for you to become a Christian. You can try all the good deeds you want. It will never get enough to be to heaven. Friend, if you are not a Christian here today, Jesus Christ has perfectly fulfilled everything that you might live forever. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. Let me end with this. He says there are patterns worth, principles worth cultivating. Verse 9, finally, he says, you want to fight worry? He says, there are people worth following. Look at verse 9. He says, do what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, Paul gives us a list of whatever's true and honorable. He says, think on these things. But he says, now it's time to put the rubber to the road. It's time to put it into practice. And I think the last application point I have for you today is this. Much of my learning to follow Jesus is unlearning to follow myself. Much of my learning to follow Jesus is unlearning to follow myself. It's all about us today, your 15 minutes of fame. Many of you remember from 10, 15 years ago, it's a McDonald's world. Hey, it could happen, right? You remember that? It's all about you. Or iPad. Have you ever thought about that? iPad. Who's it about? It's about me. It's about iPad, iPhone. Man, that works really well. Or my AOL. Do they still have AOL today? I don't know if they do. But you know what? That me is written all over. It's all over the place. Friend, be very careful. In this church, I pray, as we've talked about several times, and it's worth repeating, are you following godly instruction? Paul instructed them how to believe, but also how to live. And now he calls the Philippians to open up their lives to that Christian life. Are you praying that you would follow someone in this church that is a godly example? Paul says they not only learned from him, they also saw it in him. They saw the practice. Would you pray for me as your pastor to walk that fine line? So you got the easy job, man. You used to do a sermon 45 minutes on a Sunday. That's an easy job. Oh, boy. Come to my office on a Sunday morning or Monday morning and talk to me. Friends, there's a lot of people with a lot of problems just like you have in your life. Will you pray, church, for each other that we would walk the narrow path? End with this illustration. I'm not a huge LeBron James fan. Many of you are big basketball fans. I can't. Uh, uh, John is a big basketball fan. He's a big sports nut anyway. But some of you do not like basketball, but I'll just say, as many of you have heard the name LeBron James, I think at least heard this. He had a new guy join him on his team in the Cleveland Cavaliers this year named Kevin Love. Kevin Love didn't know how he'd fit on the, on the horizon. Kevin Love's a big star in himself. How do you get two big stars to come together? And back in February, there was a controversy because uh, LeBron James wrote on Twitter, he said this, he said, Kevin, stop trying to find a way to fit out and just fit in. Be a part of something special, brother. And these phrases, fit out and fit in, were used by Kevin Love earlier in the season as he was trying to adjust to his new team. And we're accustomed to people talking about fitting in, but it's worth attention to consider how we might create ways to fit out. What do I mean? We typically blame others for not including us, but a healthy person will take the time to evaluate if he or she is actually hindering from something special. You know what happened to them? Many of you know the story. They got to the final game, final two games, wasn't it? The last two games, and unfortunately, LeBron James lost, and all the world said, amen. That's right. And some of you aren't basketball fans, and you'll get there someday. But you know what? I think the point of this weird story is, is that have you sought to consider how you are doing 
in this church? Are you fitting in? Are you fitting in in this church? Have you found a place here that you're fitting in to something special? But have you also fit out? In other words, have you also tried to find ways to connect with other people other than yourself in this church? Friends, that's a basketball team. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The godly teaching I want you to know this morning is that you are responsible to others for how you live your Christian life. You do not do church sitting on your couch in your PJs watching a live stream of a service somewhere. You do church right where you're at. Friends, we are in a church because we are together for the body of Christ. And Paul says, look, you want to get rid of worry, then you pursue after someone who knows the, the truth. Friend, if you do not have someone in this church that you know that can walk with you hand in hand with the gospel of Jesus Christ, come talk to me. See, Richard, we always have a deacon in the back that prays for us. Richard, thank you for doing that today. Talk to Richard, our deacon. Talk to any of our deacons, any of our leaders. If you're not connected with someone in this church, be connected. Say, Darren, how do I fight worry? Friends, if you don't believe God is sovereign over everything, you're going to miss it all. If you don't believe that. If you don't believe that today. Look, we went all over the passage. This passage is loaded, but can I ask you today, have you trusted God with every element of your life? That's where it all begins. That's where it all begins. Let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I thank you that today because you are a good and gracious God, and I know, Lord, there's nothing that changes you. Father, I pray for those who are prone to worry in here that their greatest hope and assurance would be that you are the God over everything. Lord, that in our prayers, in our praises, in our, in our petitions, in our esteeming, our principles, in everything that we talked about today, that it would point to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those without Christ that their greatest worry would be where they spend eternity. That, Father, you would not let them rest until they have settled the question that you asked Peter of, who do you say that I am? Father, that's the greatest worry they have because there's nothing more important than their soul. There's nothing that compares to their soul and the value. Father, open their hearts. Lord, you are good. We just pray that our church would not be worried about things of this world, but be worried about things of your kingdom and of your name. That's our prayer. Lord, you are so good to us. We ask this today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.